Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. simple thought, but something that I have felt, and that is how not to go back, how not to go back, praise the Lord. I want to make it, don't you? I didn't begin this journey to quit, I didn't start not to finish, and um, we started out this race. And I have all intentions of making heaven my home. I hope you feel that way. Praise the Lord. I hope you feel that way tonight. How not to go back. Praise the Lord. Let's pray that the Lord would bless here tonight and anoint in this service. We truly need his hand upon us the remainder of this service this evening. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to bless here tonight. Strengthen us through your word. I pray, God, that your word would find every one of us Strengthen us, bless us, minister to us in this house. We thank you, God, for this beautiful opportunity to be in this service tonight and worship you. I pray, God, that the word of God could be broken severally to our hearts. In Jesus' name. And would you clap your hands to him again? <clears throat> Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I was in a service uh, a few nights ago, well it's been almost a week ago now, and um, in that service a friend of this church, Sister Bobby Wendell, who you know was one of the, her and her husband were the pioneering missionaries to the country of Ethiopia, which this church has been very involved in over the last several years in giving to, and I myself have visited there on three occasions, and so I'm acquainted a little bit with the work in Ethiopia, and because of that, uh, we have a special connection with Sister Wendell, and Sister Wendell has visited here, and our church services came for our missions conference. She was here for the anniversary service in February, and a very special, or last February, not this past February, but the February before, she's a very special person. And lady of God, and a lady that is wholly dedicated unto the Lord. And she was just giving a little bit of her, her testimony there, and it struck me deeply in my heart. And she talked about coming to the Lord as an adult. Uh, she was already married, if I understood it correctly, just a young married woman. And she came into the church down just south of here in Oil City. And they had a revival, and she came in. And uh, she received the revelation of truth, and she received this wonderful experience of the Holy Ghost, was baptized in Jesus' name, and she said, I cannot tell you from that moment how my life began to change. I cannot express it enough. How many knows that the Holy Ghost still changes people, totally changes people, changes your nature? 
changes everything about you. You're a totally different person once you receive the experience of the Holy Ghost. And she said, I, I, I wanted to, to be everything apostolic. I, I, wanted, I wanted to be known as a Pentecostal woman. I wasn't ashamed of it. Matter of fact, I can't understand, she said, anybody that is ashamed of this lifestyle because of such a wonderful experience that I received. She said, I immediately went home. I began to go through the things that I had. And uh, she used these words. She burned them. Uh, she got rid of them. She didn't just stick them away in a back room or storage closet somewhere, but she burned them. And she said, I remember the, the day as I was sitting in a, I think she said it was a doctor's office, and somebody sitting behind her, a woman sitting behind her. Uh, she said it was the first time it happened. And she said, I, uh, I, I was just so thrilled. It just my heart leapt for joy. She said that there was a, a lady that said, well, you, you must be a Pentecostal. And she said, a big old smile came across my face. And she said, well, yes, I am. And she was so happy the first time that she could be identified out of a crowd of people without telling anyone that she was, in fact, a Pentecostal. Amen. I am thankful for people that have such an experience in God. Amen. Uh, that they have such a life change that uh, they, want, they want to be everything God wants them to be. They want to identify with this. They want to sell out to this. And uh, they want to be this completely. The writer said in our text here tonight, and truly if they had been mindful of the country from whence they had came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. They might have had opportunity to have returned. Can I tell you that in this journey of living for God, there is, it's not a question of whether or not there will be, there will be opportunities to quit. The devil's going to make sure of it. There's going to be opportunities to go back. There's going to be opportunities to stop. There's going to be opportunities to throw in the towel. And we live in a generation that has made that easy. We live in a generation of quitters. Uh, they quit school. Uh, they quit jobs at random. They quit marriage. And some even dreadfully quit on life. Suicide is increasing in our world. People can't deal uh, with situations. And so the answer for them, they think, is to quit. And we know that that only is the beginning beginning of a long eternity without God. But Paul said, encouraging each one of us, he said, I finished my course. I finished my course. Now, he made that course personal, as I have said many times, because none of our lives can you line up side by side and parallel them and then be exactly the same. Every life is, is different. Everybody's course in this room is different. Challenges that I have may not be challenges to you. Challenges that you have may not be challenges to me. I have hills and valleys. You have hills and valleys. There's rough spots. There's different types of terrain. 
There's times that we walk through dry places. And there's times that we have to walk through the rain. But uh, he said, I finished my course. But he didn't stop there. He said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And that's what we're all striving for, is that crown of righteousness. Amen. That's going to be given to us someday. Praise the Lord. More than accolades in this world. More than compliments in this world. More than any accomplishment that can be achieved in this life. More than anything that we could finish in this life. I would hope that we all are striving. We're all desiring that crown of righteousness that the Bible says is incorruptible. Everything that you achieve in this life is corruptible. Would you agree? Uh, It doesn't matter how solid a building, a structure is built, given time, that structure has a time span or a lifespan, and it's going to deteriorate, and it's going to go back to uh, the elements that it was built or constructed out of, and it doesn't matter how uh, big of an accolade or accomplishment that you achieve in this life, given time, that is going to be forgotten. But there's one thing that is going to be important throughout all eternity. And that is that crown of righteousness that all of us are in a race to achieve here tonight. Amen. All of us are in this race. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. All of us are striving for this goal. Sadly, everyone that starts don't don't finish the race. And many of us have seen it. If you've lived for God any period of time, You've seen some fall by the wayside. If you've been in this journey any period of time uh, to your disappointment, you've seen people that you had high hopes for that didn't make it. And uh, they're not still in the race. They're not still a part of this. They didn't finish their course. Recently, there was the Boston Marathon that is held annually. And we know about one year ago, Uh, the tragedy that took place there with the Boston Marathon bombing. uh, But uh, they continue to have this year after year. And if you're familiar with the Boston Marathon, you know uh, that a marathon itself is a little over 26 miles. That all of these people that join the race are proposing that they're going to run. Now, if you've seen pictures of the Boston Marathon, you know that there's an enormous amount of contestants that join the race. There's a lot of people that can be found at the starting line. A lot of people that uh, join up uh, to begin the Boston Marathon. And if you've seen pictures, you know that they're dressed in uh, all all of the paraphernalia that these runners wear. They've got bright colors on. Maybe even some of them's got a, a little skull cap or whatever it is that they put on. It's all bright colors. Their tennis shoes look like they need batteries because they're so bright and sparkly. It looked like they just went down and bought some brand new ones. And uh, their whole outfit. But you know, I wouldn't put my money on. You, you shouldn't put your money on any of them. But if you were put your money on somebody, don't put it on the one that's dressed in the brightest colors. 
Because everybody knows that there's going to be one winner. And everybody knows that though there is a lot of contestants, not all of the contestants are, in fact, contenders for the race. I mean, they're not even going to be in the top hundred that cross the finish line. Because not everybody that even starts the Boston Marathon, as I understand it, there is some qualifications to even be in the race. I mean, this can't be your first time to ever go out on a jog when you join the Boston Marathon. They don't want to waste time on you. This can't be the first time that you ever joined a marathon uh, to get in on this one that is so famous. So most people have been involved in it, but this particular course is difficult. It's more difficult than perhaps any of the other marathons that are notable, such as uh, uh, the marathon in Athens, the marathon uh, that takes place in New York City is also very famous. But the Boston Marathon has a particular part of the course around the 20-mile marker called Heartbreak Hill. And Heartbreak Hill is strategically placed where it is placed. It's not at the beginning of the race, and it's not at the very end of the race. But why it is there is significant. It is there to separate those that are contestants from those that are truly contenders. In other words, uh, we, we want to separate those that are really able to win this race and are deserving to win this race and are people that have prepared themselves and are the true marathon runners. We don't want somebody to win this race on a lark. We don't want somebody to just win this race because they had a good day. But we're going to separate the contestants from the contenders by what is called heartbreak hill. When they get to this certain place in the course, we're going to find out how good a shape they're really in. If they made it to the 20-mile marker, in my opinion, they're in pretty good shape. Wouldn't you say that, Brother Doc? Pretty good shape. Praise God. Amen. Uh, they've, done, they've done outrun me, out, 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 out. Their athleticism is a whole lot better than, than, than me if they can make it to the 20-mile marker. But you know, marathon runners, many of them, they say that if it was a 20-mile race, it would be easy. But it's that last six miles that you've used up all of the nutrition and chemicals in your body that help your muscles to function. And when you are at a deficit of these important chemicals in your body, electrolytes and such, that it causes your mind to start playing tricks on you. Mind starts playing tricks on me about the fourth lap around a quarter mile. Amen? But they say at the 20-mile marker, when you get to heartbreak hill, and it's not a real, this real steep grade, but it's a long, continuing grade. And it separates the contestants from the contenders. Can I tell you that in this walk, in this course that you and I are part of, there is some heartbreak heels. There is some places. There is some, some grades that we have to walk up. And there are, are, are some places in this journey, in this course that you and I are on, that uh, if you don't have it in you, you're going to turn around. If you have not determined it in your mind and you have not sold out before you ever get to that point, then it would be easy for you to be tempted to quit 
at that moment. It would be easy for you to say, you know what, it's not worth it. Amen. I'm uncomfortable. This is not, not what I bargained for. But can I tell you, if you ever cross the finish line and get that crown of righteousness, that incorruptible crown that the Apostle Paul described, I promise you it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth whatever your course presents you in the way of challenge. If you make it through, it's going to be worth it. No matter what contradicts you, no matter what you have to break through. And they tell me that they keep on running, they keep on trudging along, even though everything in them is telling them to quit. They keep on and they break through what they call the wall. There is a wall that is there. And when they break through that wall, there is a release in their body. And uh, they get what is called a runner's high. And they can run further and with more energy than when they even began the race or in the beginning stages of the race. Can I tell you that there is such walls in your relationship with God but when you break through them when you come to another apostolic service and maybe you was just trudging in here put one foot in front of the other it was a force to put your hands in the air. You had to make yourself sing the songs. You had to make yourself step out from the pew and come down to the altar but if you ever break through I said if you ever break through amen you talk about blessing you talk about renewed and refreshed spirit you talk about a will to make it a little further how many's ever known services like that when you broke through the wall there was a word from God there was a touch of God there was an anointing of the Holy Ghost that came there was a fresh blessing that came and you said you know what I feel like I can make it a little further I think I can make it to the end of the race now We used to have a, used to have these walkathons. She's Christ walkathons. We traded them in for bikeathons, and then that was too hard. We got these rockathons now. And now they've knocked them down from all night rockathons to about two or three hours. Give me a hundred dollars to sit in a rocking chair and eat popcorn. Sounds like a good deal to me. Amen. <laughs> But they, in the old days, there was walkathons, weren't they, folks? Are there any old saints in here? Uh, you don't want to admit you're old saint. Praise God. But there was walkathons back in my beginning days. Now I was just a little kid. Amen. But I remember Sister uh, Heather is here. She remembers back in uh, the church there when we was little. I, I don't know. She might not have been born then. But anyway, I remember them walkathons. They, they was twelve mile walkathons. Twelve miles. That's a pretty good long ways, and I don't care if you're walking or what you're doing. If you're riding a bicycle, that's a long way. Twelve miles. Man, we'd have them getting their sponsor sheets and going to town, filling them up. We had a fellow in the church. You remember? His name was Brother Alvy Wilson, and he if he weighed a pound, he weighed four hundred. And uh, he ran the Coke machine at the church. <laughs> That's back when they had those bottle kind. You put the bottle back in the in the thing, and they took it and refilled them, brought them back, and 
and uh, he ran the Coke bottle machine. And uh, he drove an old fastback Mustang that had plywood down in the floorboards. I looked in there one time, you could see all the way to the ground. I just knew any time. Somebody that big was going to get in that thing, and he was going to be. And he drove back and forth church. He was very faithful. His wife didn't attend church. His children was sporadic and, and attended church. But he was always at the house of God. But he, he won't get involved in everything, so he, he'd, he, he'd get in, involved in the walkathon. He was a contestant, not a real contender. And you'd watch him show up out there and look like look like they they came and you could hear him talking. Man, yeah, I'm gonna walk. Matter of fact, I think I'm gonna jog about half of it. And I get down there, I just may walk on home. And they they can drive me down here and get my car later on. I'm just you know, I'm love just take off walking and I'm love double up on this deal. And before they could get down the end of the road down there at the stop sign, they had blisters hanging off the back of their heels, and they was hobbling along. And uh, people would come showing up out there, and they'd have the dress shoes on. And, uh, you know, there's contestants, but not contenders. Because you've got to be prepared. Amen. You've you got to have the right attire on if you're going to walk 12 miles in the hot sun. You got to have the right shoes on if you're going to. I'm going to tell you the Bible talks about the right attire too. It talks about the whole armor of God. It talks about having our feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And uh, it talks about the armament that we're going to wear if we're going to be successful in this journey. And if you're going to finish, if you're going to even have a chance of finishing, you're going to have to take these things into consideration. Bible talks about the wise builder sets down and counts the cost before he even starts lest he get halfway into the project and have to close it down and it be a shame to him and people would mock him and wag their heads and say there's a fool that didn't te- didn't take into consideration how much it was going to cost before he began the project the Bible said uh, of us that we need to sit down and reason with the Lord Amen. And we need to count the cost. And we need to decide before we ever start that we're going to finish this race. That's the people that make it. That's the people that get to the end. Praise the Lord. You, you can, if you're not careful, your mind, nostalgia is a tricky, tricky thing. You get to reminiscing. You get to thinking. In a low time in your life, you can drive by a certain place. You can see a certain person. You, you, can, you can hear a certain song in a supermarket while you're pushing your buggy down the aisle. And all kinds of things. It's like a gate is opened in your mind. Suddenly all those thoughts of nostalgia come rushing back. You catch the smell of tobacco. You, you get the scent of a certain thing, and it takes you back. You see a certain label, and it takes you back. 
you're running to an old high school acquaintance and it takes you back. Your mind is filled with memories, but you better be careful. Your mind can play tricks on you because your mind has a way of remembering all the good at times and forgetting all the bad. Yeah. Your mind can remember all them wild parties that you thought was so terrific. But somehow it forgets that aftermath and that hangover and you vomiting up your interest. Yeah, man, I'm talking truth. Your mind's got a way of remembering all the highs and never the lows, the despair, the loneliness, the fear of being lost that got on your heart in those moments. You ever remember that? God, if you came right now, I'd be lost. I'd go to hell. I'd die without you. Hallelujah. And, and you, don't, you don't remember those things. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, too, be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be renewed in your mind. That's a part of spiritual renewal, is being renewed in your mind. Because the way, the way you think as a child of God is not the way you think as a child of the devil. Children of the world and children of God do not have the same philosophy of life. They do not think the same way. Praise the Lord. So you've got to have your mind renewed. From time to time. you got to get back and, and you cannot allow. This old world's putting pressure on. There's so many things to program your mind to think a certain way. And to accept certain things. I was, I was, uh, I was getting my hair cut the other day, for instance. And, and a man was telling me, he said, you know, I used to. And he was talking about a certain lifestyle. He said, I used to despise that. And uh, he said, but over time. He said, I don't guess I have uh, as much as ha a hatred for it as I used to have. And I thought to myself, uh-huh, you're conforming to this world. As Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed. Amen. You, you've got to continue to let your mind be renewed. Not let this world influence your thinking. Don't let this world shape your belief system. Just because they think it's right, they say it's right, doesn't mean that it lines up to the Word of God. i got to keep this before me. i got to keep the Word of the Lord and my heart open to the Word of the Lord. Praise God. And, and that is so imperative. It's so imperative that I be strengthened through God's Word. And uh, I come to the house of God. And I receive a fresh Word from God. That's how my mind is renewed, by coming to an altar and praying and praying through to the Holy Ghost. Be renewed in the Holy Ghost. It's good to pray until you break through. Don't just pray, but pray until you break through and you touch God and God touches you and changes some things in you. There's far too much acceptance that I, than what I am comfortable with with things that are worldly, amen, with things that are ungodly, with things that sometimes we don't even realize how it's taken us down. That's why we've got to 
We've got to be influenced by God and got to have our minds renewed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've got to get our thinking straight. Galatians 4 and 9 says, Be now after that ye have known God. But now after ye have known God. Or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Is that what you want? It's like you've been delivered from all of these things, and now you willfully go back and say, put the shackles back on. Put the noose back around my neck. Put your head back in the yoke, if you will. And those are the things that God, those are the weak I'm going to tell you this, anything this world has to offer is weak in comparison to the things of God. Anything this world comes tempting you with, it is beggarly elements compared to the experience that we receive in God. Amen. I'd rather have this good old pure Holy Ghost experience and power of God than I would anything this world has to offer. I'd rather just have old-fashioned, old-time Holy Ghost religion than to have anything this world. I don't want an homogenized version. I don't want it to be strained down and pasteurized to the place that it doesn't have any power in it. But God, give me the real. Give me the genuine. Because that's what saves people. That's what truly delivers people. That's what sets people free. That's what makes a difference in people's lives. Can you say amen? Why don't you clap your hands to him and let's praise him. And why would anybody want to go back to something less? Why would anybody that really has experienced the anointing and the power of God want to dumb down any element of this? Get something that's weak and watered down so that it can just soothe our spiritual taste buds enough that we can at least think or sound like or feel like that we're religious, but we really don't have an experience in God. Everything this world has to offer is weak in comparison with God. The Bible tells us, I believe here in these verses, that there's three reasons why Abraham did not return, that he did not go back. And if you'll give attention to these three things, I, I believe that it'll help you. First of all, he desired something better. Isn't it, wasn't that what brought you to Pentecost to begin with? Is you desired a better life. You desired something better. Desire is one thing that nobody can give you, but it's something that you better receive. It's something you better get. It's something you better possess. I can't give it to you. I can give you... Uh, uh, I can give you the Word of God, preach it to you, teach it to you, counsel you, help you, pray for you, and, and many others can. But nobody can give you desire. Nobody can give you a hunger for God. And can I tell you, before a person desires alcohol, they quit desiring the things of God. Before a person desires to light up a cigarette, it starts with them, stop. Stopping desiring to come to God's house and be faithful to God's house. Before a person 
goes back into a lifestyle of immorality and perversion. They stop desiring to come to a prayer room and talk to God and seek the face of God in a relationship with Him. Before they desire to go out into the world and look like the world, they stop desiring the things about the presence of God that we have felt even here tonight. It all begins with the desires and the affections of our heart. That, that is why it's so important to, that we keep our desire for the things of God alive. We don't let that desire die. We don't let it dwindle down. But we're renewed and we're refreshed in God. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. He, he had a desire for something better. I'm going to tell you, there's something better than even what we have now, if you can believe it. What we've got now is just the earnest of our inheritance, the Scripture said. It's just a little bit of a down payment on what we're going to get when we get to heaven. If you think this is good, hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. One of these days, uh, we're going to the other side. There's no heartache, no pain, no tears uh, on that other side. There's no elderly decrepit bodies uh, that is given to disease, uh, amen, deterioration, uh, arthritic conditions, but thanks be to God, uh, we're going to be all over again new in Jesus, uh, living throughout eternity in His presence. Amen. That's my hope, is something better. There's always something better, brothers and sisters, that you need to look for. And then number two, Abraham, one of the reasons why he didn't go back is that he was not mindful of that country. He didn't dwell on all the things that he used to do before God delivered him. Yeah, he didn't sit around and ponder and think about it, what it was like back there in Ur of the Chaldees. Oh, if I could just go back. You know, you can get that way. You can you can be away from something and you can get to thinking, man, if I could just go back over there, man. It, uh, it's kind of like David felt when he said, if I could just take a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And when he got it, he dumped it out on the ground. And it really was something that was just a feeling and a, an emotion, but it wasn't something he really wanted to go through with. Amen. Sometimes in a mood or an emotion, we can, we can get to thinking about something and pondering about something, how good it would be. Amen. you got to be careful with all of that. He, he didn't sit around and dwell on it and think about it. Praise God. I remember a, a man in my uncle's church, and uh, his name was Paul. He lived in an apartment that was uh, on the church property, and he did some work there. And Paul had, had a... Had a life of drugs and and uh, been in and out of prison. I mean, a sharp guy in many ways and talented, had ability, but just couldn't leave the dope alone. And uh, he'd do real good and get on fire for God. And, and the next thing you'd know, he'd get off the rails and, and they'd have to put him back together again. And they did this two or three times. But finally, he just disappeared and went off on a drug binge. But I remember one conversation that was recounted to me by my uncle that he was having with Paul. He said, Paul was telling me, you know, 
he was talking about his life in the drug world. And he got to rehearsing his experience in drugs. And he said, something just ran all over me. And finally, I stopped him and I said, Paul, he said, sound like you're talking about that like you like it. Like you'd like to be doing it again. You're describing that like you'd like for that to be happening again. He said, Paul said, talking about the Apostle Paul, he said, the Apostle Paul said, those things that I once loved, I now hate. He said, if you're going to make it living for God, you're going to have to learn how to hate those things that you once loved, or if you're not careful, you'll go back to them. What he was saying is, is you're mindful of those things. You sit around and think about those things and rehearse those things until it isn't, if you're, if you're not careful, you're going back and you're participating in those things. Come on, we need to shut the door on the past. I said we need to close the door on what we used to be before God found us. Thank God for the testimony of his salvation. But I'm not sitting around talking about how good it was. I'm not going to talk about how, how good of an experience, how wonderful it was. It wasn't nothing wonderful about that. All of that was temporary. God saved me from that. God help me to overcome that. You don't need to be thinking about that any longer. You don't need to be dwelling on that. Don't be mindful of those things. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First of all, you're building up in the minds of your kids something that they don't need to learn about. They don't need to know about. Praise the Lord. And they get to wondering what it's like, and they want to experience it. You know why Demas went back? It's because Demas was mindful of Thessalonica. Every time he'd go by and see its bright lights, he'd think about, man, it's old times there. And he went back. He went back. You can't be mindful of those things that God delivered you from. And then, finally, his focus was on things of God. The Bible said he was looking for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. No, he didn't see it right off. He didn't get it right off. He didn't obtain it right off. But he was looking for it. Amen. We hadn't seen all we wanted to in God either. But we're looking for it. Landmark's looking for a greater revival. Landmark's looking for family members to come in and be saved. Landmark's looking for the backslider to come back home. Landmark's still looking for the greatest services that it's ever had. Landmark's still looking for the altars to be filled and the Holy Ghost to be poured out. Landmark's still looking for greater numbers in church than it's ever seen before. Amen. We thank God for everything up to this point, but we got a forward focus. we got a forward gaze. We're looking ahead at what God can do because His Word said He's able to do greater things, greater things, greater things. Help me, God. Help me not to be one of those that sets my hand to the plows, the wise men said, and looks back. But God, help me to keep a steady look forward. Help me to keep, even when the plowing gets tough, even when it seems like we're in hard ground, Help me just to keep on looking forward and keep on praying and keep on worshiping and keep on living for God. Keep on serving the Lord and keep on being faithful. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
Apostle Peter said in Acts 2 and 40, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Untoward, not for or against. Live and let live. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to be for some things. You're going to have to be against some things. I, I hate to break the news to you, but you can't just be neutral. You can't be one of these that's just passive. I know that seems to be the mantra of the day. Just, just I don't care. It ain't my business. Whatever. And there's just some things that are not your business. But when it comes to souls, when it comes to your soul, better make it your business. There's some things I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to participate in that junk. I'm not going to get involved in that kind of filth. I'm not going that route. I'm going <laughs> He said, save yourself. Amen. I can't be responsible for the group, but I can be responsible for me. I can't be responsible for everybody, but I can be responsible for my choices and my decisions. Amen. I can't be responsible whether or not this friend or that friend makes the decision and makes the commitment and makes the choice to live for God. But I, I can make that decision for myself. I am going to serve the Lord. The Bible said, set your affection on the things above, not on the things that are beneath. You get to looking around here, you can find all kind of excuses not to live for God. You get to looking down here, you can find all kind of excuses why to Participate in carnality and sin. Why to let down? But if you're looking up here, you always got a higher standard. You always got something to reach for. You always got something to pursue. Amen. Get your affection on the things above and not on the things which are beneath. Would you stand with me right now? Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Let's talk to God in this place. I'm talking to you about how not to go back. How not to go back. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the devil's presenting opportunities and pulling on people on a daily basis. The devil has been successful because He's patient enough to wait for the right opportunity. You know, he knows that some of you are not going to be tempted to walk right out of this building and go do certain things. So he tries another angle. He tries to get you to go ahead and come here and do everything you do in the flesh and never get into the spirit. Amen? Just to go through the motions. Because if he can break that connection with God, he knows that's your lifeline. And then he can come with something a little stronger. Discouragement can set in. He can disappoint you in one area of life. He can tempt you when you're weak in another area. And one by one, the dominoes begin to fall. It never starts out, never starts out in an overt manner. It never starts out being just open disclosure where you'll know it's deceptive. 
because he wants you to go back. The day you got the Holy Ghost and started this journey, the devil started at that very moment to keep you from making it. And he doesn't ever weary. He doesn't ever tire. Brother Wisnet here got the Holy Ghost, I guess, over 50 years ago. And he's 90 years old. Can I tell you that the devil hasn't stopped yet? He can testify he hasn't stopped yet. Brother Ray's here. He got the Holy Ghost in tent revival, I believe, when Brother Joe Duke was preaching. But the devil hadn't stopped yet. Amen? Praise God. Many of you can testify the same thing. The devil hasn't stopped. Don't think he's going to lay down. I've overcame. I've gotten above it. I'm beyond it. I'm so spiritually mature. I'll never have to worry about it again. Don't kid yourself. Stay close to God. Stay in the prayer room. Stay faithful to the house of God. Keep an ear open to the hearing of the word of the Lord. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Come on, if somebody made that commitment here tonight, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to. He told the children of Israel, you're going to go along a highway and there's going to be enemies on this side and there's going to be enemies. On, I'm going to create a highway right through the middle of them. He said, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, but just keep on the king's highway. And when you make it to the end, it's going to be worth it. To, but if you get to ta- entangling yourself with the enemy, you're not going to make it. But stay on this highway. God's provided a way for every one of us to be saved. It's not hard to live for God. Amen. It's not difficult. If you stay on the highway, you can make it. He's prepared a path for you. Hallelujah. There's no trouble. There's no difficulty. If you're to stay on the highway, you can make it. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you.